0: Psalm 30, the inscription begins, a song at the dedication of the house, a psalm of David. I will extol you, O Lord, for you have lifted me up and have not let my enemies rejoice over me. O Lord, my God, I cried to you for help and you healed me. O Lord, you have brought up my soul from Sheol, You have kept me alive that I would not go down to the pit. Sing praise to the Lord, you his godly ones, and give thanks to his holy name. For his anger is but for a moment. His favor is for a lifetime. Weeping may last for the night, but a shout of joy comes in the morning. Now as for me, I said in my prosperity, I will never be moved. O Lord, by your favor you have made my mountain to my mountain to stand strong. You hid your face, I was dismayed. To you, O Lord, I called, and to the Lord I made supplication. What profit is there in my blood if I go down to the pit? Will the dust praise you? Will it declare your faithfulness? Hear, O Lord, And be gracious to me. O Lord, be my helper. You have turned for me my mourning into dancing. You have loosed my sackcloth and girded me with gladness, that my soul may sing praise to you and not be silent. O Lord, my God, I give thanks to you forever. Let's pray together. Amen. Our Father, again, we continue to worship you, to praise your holy name. We thank you that we can draw near to you through the blood of the Lamb. Thank you for these great hymns that reminded us of the preciousness of our Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you that he also was a man of the Psalms, that he quoted them, that he knew them, that he lived in them. And Father, today as we look at this beautiful Psalm 30, may we be encouraged, may we draw near to you, may your word be illuminated, may you change us and write it upon our hearts that we would pray better, that we would know you better, that we would love you better, our God. We thank you for this opportunity, in Christ's name, amen. Well, if you had time this morning, I know you lost an hour, I forgot about it actually but I made it here for Sunday school, which was a good thing. I was driving here today, and it was quite cold. It was around 32 degrees, and I was thinking that sometimes our hearts get a bit cold toward the Lord. Sometimes we get a bit dull of hearing, dull of reading. Maybe you have your devotions at times, and you read the passage, and it's just like bronze. It's... A dullness or a coldness. And I believe that one of the reasons God gave us the Psalms, 150 prayers and praises, is to warm our hearts, to stir us up to praise the Lord, to pray better. It is a praise manual and a prayer manual. And this Psalm reflects that David was in tight straits. He had a sickness. He had his enemies. He faced death, yet he prayed to God over and over. The title that I've given this message is The High Praises of God. Another I thought of was A Prayer of Prayers, because it's one prayer after the next, really, in this prayer that only takes one and a half minutes to read out loud. One and a half minutes, and it is loaded with truth as David poured out his heart to God, and may we do that today and present our hearts as an acceptable sacrifice to our God, even now as we worship Him. The inscription, as we read, says a psalm, a psalm song at the dedication of the house, a psalm of David. And we believe that these inscriptions are part of the inspired text. They sometimes help us, sometimes we don't understand what they mean, because was this a dedication of David's house he did not build the temple his son did uh, one idea that i read was helpful that david uh, possibly penned this psalm and then it was used in reference to the temple so maybe later uh, on as as the the psalms were being collected and these inscriptions were were added. Maybe there was an inclusion, a song at the dedication of the house. We don't know in this case, but we see it is a psalm of David. Now, if you were listening as we read, and I've highlighted it in my Bible, we hear the word "O Lord, O Yahweh, Jehovah" eight times. There's the an exclamatory expression as David cries out to God, "O Lord, O Lord." Oh Lord, eight times. And there's other psalms like this, but there's a lot of interjection and passion. And it was almost hard to just jump in and read it because if we heard his prayer, it was probably filled with tears and joy and passion. And may our prayers be the same. Lesson one of 11 is this, generally thinking about this exclamatory statement, O Lord, is this, let our prayers be filled with fervent petitions. Maybe that's a tautology. Let our prayers be filled with fervent petitions. Or let our prayers be filled with prayers. And we get this from Ephesians 6, where Paul told the Ephesians, with all prayer and petition... Pray at all times in the Spirit. In your prayers, pray. And if we're, if you're honest and as we're praying at Wednesday night or through your week, your prayers often go from one thing to the next. It's like all these mini prayers collected into one big prayer. Let our prayers be filled with fervent petitions throughout. Or as James told us about Elijah, who was a man with a nature like ours... He was not superhuman. He was a great prophet, but he had a nature like ours and he prayed with prayer. He prayed with prayer. Do you pray with prayer? Do you have your prayers filled with petitions? The Psalms are merely, as one author said, pages from the psalmist's autobiography. These were prayers that The men prayed primarily David to God, and we have them. We have pages from David's autobiography, and may it be our own autobiography. May we find ourselves in these psalms. Well, verse 1, verse 1, David begins, I will extol you, O Lord, for you have lifted me up and have not let my enemies rejoice over me, David resolves and he begins, I will extol you. It's not a word that we normally use, but it means to lift high, to exalt, to hold up or lift up. And it was actually the word they used to pick up or pull up a bucket from a well. Maybe you've done that in the old days. Maybe you were at a well and you pulled up the bucket. Well, that's what God did for David and that's what God does to us, so we extol him. He lifted David up and he lifts us up. He pulls us like we're inside that bucket and he lifts us up or he carries us, he holds us. What a beautiful picture that God would pick us up in such a way. Lesson two, if you've been picked up, let your praises go up. If you've been picked up by God, let your praises go up to him. Isn't that what he did in saving us? He took us from the dunghill and seated us with Christ. Doesn't he do this on a daily basis where we have some trial and we say, Lord, help me. My job is so hard. My my life at home is hard. It's hard to be a husband. It's hard to be a wife. It's hard to be a student. Lord, help me. And as we cry to him, what does he do? But he lifts us up. We have many difficulties, many trials, many sicknesses that he lifts us out of. And David had particularly many enemies. We may not have all the enemies that David had, but we have many sins that we have to deal with. We have many temptations, and God even lifts us out of those. Let us not forget to give thanks to the Lord for all the times that he lifted us up. Maybe it's a health challenge. I mean, as we get older, most of us have at least one disease. True or false? Maybe you've battled a particular disease. Maybe it's small or great, but the older we get, and even in your youth, you could come up with a disease. We're liable to difficulties. And that drives us to look up to our God and He lifts us up. He carries us. He bears us up in His arms. It's glorious. So David extols God. He lifts up the name of God because he was lifted up. He continues his prayer in verse two: "O Lord, my God, I cried to you for help, and you healed me." I love when we see this; these two words. He addresses God, "O Lord," but he adds, "My God, O Lord." My God. He's not only the God who is out there, He is my God. There is a note of intimacy, of communion, of relationship. We heard it in our Sunday school lessons the last couple weeks about the revelation of God. God is revelational because He is relational. And by salvation, God is our God. But David was broke down, sick. Maybe he was injured from battle. He had He was in many battles. He surely had many aches and pains and difficulties. Who knows what sickness he had here, but he cried to God for help and God healed him. Have you been healed with or without the means? When you've been healed of something or helped, you praise God. You say that I cried to him and he rescued me. He is my God. Yes, praise him, praise him. And this word, this description, Oh Lord, my God, I cried to you. Sometimes our prayers, Oh Lord, thank you. Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. We can be very much like a robot or a parrot. We can pray, but prayer is described in the Bible as crying out. Are you urgent in your prayers? Do you cry out to God? Hopefully he doesn't have to get us at the bottom. And sometimes that's what it takes. You end up in the hospital. You end up in dire straits where all you can do is say, Lord, help. You're crying out, maybe with tears. David was crying out to God for help. Lesson three, when you need help or healing, cry out to your God. The Psalms teach this basic truth over and over When you need help or healing, cry out to your God. James 5, is anyone among you suffering? Then he must pray. If you're suffering, pray. Jesus taught us and took us to a new level of new covenant revelation. We not only pray to my God, but we pray to our Father. And he said, How much more will your Father who is in heaven give what is good to those who ask Him? God hears and answers our prayers. He is our God and He is our Father. In the Sermon on the Mount, the very beginning message that Jesus gave to His new disciples, He taught us to pray, Our Father. God is not far off. Yes, He is in heaven, but He is our Father. This intimacy... That we can bring anything to the throne of grace to find help in time of need. James also, who speaks of prayer, also warned us, you do not have because you do not ask. Maybe you've lost something at home. Maybe you've lost uh, one of your little diamonds in the ring that your grandmother gave you. Do we say, Lord, help me to find it? Maybe you have to do a PowerPoint presentation at work before the president of the company and you're quite nervous. Lord, help me. Lord, help me to do what I need to do as a husband, as a wife. You do not have because you do not ask. Lord, I need wisdom about a career change, about retirement, about money. Lord, there are so many things. We should be people that pray without ceasing. Prayer is the breathing of our soul. The Psalms reveal this over and over and they encourage us to keep on asking because God not only receives our prayer, but He answers them. It's two wonders that we can pray to God and that God answers us. Well, he's going to open up some details about the Lord's rescue in verse 3. He says again, O Lord, you have brought up my soul from Sheol. You have kept me alive that I would not go down to the pit. Lesson 4 from verse 3 here is this. Bless the Lord who keeps us in life. Bless the Lord who keeps us in life. It sounds a bit strange to speak maybe in that that terminology, who keeps us in life, but it's from Psalm 66. 8 and 9, Bless our God, O peoples, and sound His praise abroad, who keeps us in life. You're here this morning. You're all alive. God is keeping you alive. You may think you're so strong, you're a young, strapping young man or woman, but God can bring us low so quick. We are liable to death and disease continually. Car accidents, whatever it may be, We are liable. God keeps us in life, so we bless His name. Some of you have been through some really serious diseases and hospitalizations, yet God has kept you in life. He brought up David from Sheol. Sheol was the place of death. He was kept alive that he wouldn't go down to pit, that he would not die. He faced many enemies, and apparently he had sickness that could have led to his death as well. Turn over to Psalm 68. Psalm 68 has some beautiful verses, which in some sense has been a motto, I think, in our church over the decades. Psalm 68, 19 and 20. Blessed be the Lord who daily bears our burden. The God who is our salvation. God is to us a God of deliverances. And to God the Lord belong escapes from death. If you've escaped death, and we all have, it's because of God. God has kept us in life. He's kept us alive. He's kept us from Sheol, from death. And we ought to bless his name. Thank you, Lord, for another day to live on this earth. To follow you. How many times has your life been at risk? On the road, in the hospital, from your disease, from the hazards of life. Maybe you've been in combat, in the military. Whatever it is, He's kept you alive in life. Matthew Henry said, A life from the dead ought to be spent in extolling the God of our life. If you've been rescued from death... You should then go on extolling God. The God of life. He gave you life. Bless the Lord who keeps us in life. Well, David doesn't stop there. He goes on to have a call to worship. He's been telling us about his own prayer, but verse 4 he says, Sing praise to the Lord, you, his godly ones, and give thanks to his holy name. He's not only content for himself to pray and praise God, but he calls out to his brothers and sisters, O godly ones, praise the Lord. Praise him with me. Join with me and praise his holy name. Give thanks. One author said that David eagerly wanted to hear a chorus supporting his solo. He was singing by himself, but he said, Come on, join in. I need to hear the chorus. Lesson five, based on this, since praise is becoming to us, let our mouths be filled with it. Since praise is becoming to us, let our mouths be filled with it. Twice in the Psalter, we hear words about praise is becoming. Once in Psalm 33, sing for joy in the Lord, O you righteous ones. Praise is becoming to the upright. When God saves a man or woman, a boy or girl, he makes you a praiser. Praise becomes you, brothers and sisters. It becomes us because he has saved us and he's made us righteous in Christ to become those who praise the Lord. Not only in corporate worship on Sunday, but at least in that, but through the week. We are those that have the high praises of God on our lips. Always. We are a people of praise. How is your praising going, brothers and sisters? Are you praising the Lord on a daily basis? Again, may, may these type of psalms stir us up to be a people of praise. Not only to glibly say praise the Lord, but from our hearts, whether it's on our mouths or on our lips or in our hearts, praise the Lord. Lord, I praise you. I thank you. I praise your holy name. And just a word, and encouragement. Read the Psalms every day, but also have your hymnal. There's many good hymnals, uh, the one we have now. And I just looked at uh, the first four hymns in our hymnal. It's always nice to, if you visit a church, you look at the hymnal. What's hymn number one, two, three, and so forth? Hymn number one in our hymnal, sing praise to God who reigns above. Number two, praise to the Lord, the Almighty. Number three, praise the Lord, ye heavens adore him. Number four, praise my soul, the King of heaven. And you can go on and on. And as we read Psalm 147, and you have your own prayers and praises that are filled with praising God because praise becomes you, brothers and sisters. Praise should define us. It becomes us. We don't all have beautiful voices, but we have beautiful praises that come out of our lips because our God is great. Praise the Lord. Familiarity can breed contempt. Let us be stirred up to sing corporately, but even to sing privately, or maybe you're traveling, maybe you're throughout your week and you're, you're on a walk, you're doing something, you're doing whatever, but throughout your day, praise you, Lord. Praise the Lord. It's a great opportunity if you have unbelieving friends and and something comes up and you say, I thank God, I praise God. It's a good testimony. It's part of our evangelism to praise the name of the Lord. Let all the peoples praise the Lord. The Psalms are full of that truth. You could also read Psalm 147.1 which has the same phraseology that praise becomes us and it becomes God as well. We sing praise to the Lord and we give thanks to His holy name. To God's holy name, His character, all that He is. And holy, yes, refers to His moral excellence, but it also refers to the fact that He is totally other. That He is high and lifted up. That His name is above all other names. He is so um, transcendent. That's His holiness as well. Praise to His holy name. Give thanks to his holy name. Listen to Isaac Watts, and you can look it up online, but Isaac Watts, I think the greatest hymn writer, wrote the Psalter, which are all the Psalms interpreted in light of the New Testament turned into hymns. We sing some of them, but I think there's one in our library. You can find it online, but read those, and one line from his song on Psalm 30 says this, listen close. Sing to the Lord, ye saints of His, and tell how large His goodness is. Let all your powers rejoice and bless while you record His holiness. Amen. We love the truth of God put into singing form. Again, we have these psalms that are poetry, poetic prayers and praises to God. We have great resources. If we don't know how to pray, pray through a psalm. Get one of the hymns out, pray through it, think about it, worship and adore God with it. Well, David gives a great reason in verse 5 why to sing the praises of God. He said, Praise God for his anger is but for a moment, his favor is for a lifetime. Weeping may last for the night, but a shout of joy comes in the morning. What a grand verse, a grand picture of our God. Yes, God has anger, but for his children, it's but for a moment. His favor is for a lifetime. There's a lot of contrast in this verse, but our lesson six, I'll put it this way. The Lord's momentary rebuke shrinks when compared to a lifetime of His gracious favor. The Lord's momentary rebuke shrinks when compared to a lifetime of His gracious favor. I believe His anger here would be His righteous anger and frustration, if you will, when we disobey Him and those whom He loves, He disciplines. And it's painful. And sometimes he disciplines severely. Even in the warnings to the Lord's Supper, there is strict and severe warnings. But his anger is but for a moment. It's momentary. It's a momentary sting as we are corrected by the Lord compared to a lifetime of his gracious favor. His favor is his acceptance. It's that relationship, that closeness that we have. So David is contrasting God's anger and God's favor. He's contrasting the moment and a lifetime. He also contrasts our responses, the weeping from the painful correction, the tears from maybe a a strong rebuke or even a providential sickness from the Lord or difficulty He contrasts that weeping for a night with a joyous shout that comes in the morning. Now, I believe that grace should work an even disposition in us. But if you've been through some great difficulty and then the next morning, even after a good night's sleep, the Lord grants some light. He grants some happiness. He grants some joy, whether of forgiveness or healing or just a new perspective that we can go just... In one night, the next day, joy in the morning. Knowing his favor, his help, his aid. Dwell much upon the favor of God upon you. What shall separate us from the love of Christ? What shall separate us from the favor and the grace of God to us in Christ? Nothing. Height, nor depth, nor angels, nor principalities. Nothing will separate us from the grace and the love of God to us in Christ. His momentary affliction or rebuke or the trials of life are small compared to this lifetime and even eternity of his gracious favor. You could think of Corinthians, the momentary light afflictions, to use Paul's idea, which is similar. David continues his testimony, his confession, in verse 6. It's a, it's a stark change on what he's been saying Again, this one and a half minute prayer that we're just getting into at 28 minutes. He says in verse six, now, as for me, emphatically, now, as for me, I said in my prosperity, I will never be moved. This is a confession, I believe, of sin, that he was doing well at one point and he was doing so well, he was prospering and he said, I will never be moved and, and the phrase, now as for me, is emphatic in contrast with verse 5, which maybe he's remembering why God's anger was upon him, because he was trusting too much in himself, I will never be moved. So what could we learn? Lesson 7, when life is going well, beware of forgetting God. When life is going well, beware of forgetting God. The wicked person, and this is not a wicked person, but the wicked is really living in this mindset. He says to himself, I will not be moved. Throughout all generations, I will not be in adversity. That's what the wicked man thinks. When the righteous man stumbles at a moment and thinks, wow, things are going so good, it's always going to go this way. I'm, I'm self-sufficient. I'm good to go. No. I cannot say in myself I will never be moved. I am dependent upon the God of grace. I'm dependent upon His favor. We cannot forget God. And verse 7, he goes this direction. He reflects on the Lord's favor and the stability that He gave. Verse 7, O Lord, by Your favor, You have made my mountain to stand strong. And then there's almost this, But You hid Your face. I was dismayed. So I think this links back to verse 5. This this rebuke, uh, yet his favor, the the weeping, and then the joy in the morning. Here, he's reflecting that God did enable his mountain, enabled him to stand strong. He had success. But then when God hid his face, it all crumbled. I was dismayed. Sometimes God hides his face to correct us. Sometimes God hides his face for reasons only known in himself, but that should remind us how dependent we are upon his good pleasure. We are dependent upon the smile of God, and I put it this way in lesson eight, without God's smile, all is gloom. Gloom and doom Maybe it's his correction. Maybe he is correcting us and he hides his face. There's gloom. Maybe it's our own withdrawal, withdrawal from God and we're not walking with him knowing his smile. And we have this dismay, this gloom. The Holman Christian standard says, I was terrified. I was not only dismayed. I was terrified. I was. Disturbed, I was trembling because I did not see or I could not see the smile of my God. Maybe God removed his smile here because David was a bit arrogant. I will never be moved. We can grow content when things are going well and we don't really need God. We're just coasting along happy-go-lucky and then boom, something happens and we realize that our faith was faltering. And God was hiding his face. And then we are dismayed. And by God's grace, that draws us back to himself. Cling to the Lord always and keep your eye of faith on him. And if you feel that he is hiding his face, press forward and keep drawing near to him. And keep pleading his name and his character in your prayers. And that's what David is going to do. Verses 8 and 9. He, he wrote, To you, O Lord, I called. And to the Lord I made supplication. And he argues with God. He gives three arguments. What profit is there in my blood if I go down to the pit? Will the dust praise you? Will it declare your faithfulness? One author points out that this the beginning that I called to the Lord, he says it's in the imperfect tense I keep on calling. The heavens may seem to be bronze. God may seem to be uh, hiding his face from us because of our sin or another reason. But I will keep on calling on the Lord. I keep on calling on him. And he gives these three arguments in prayer. What profit is there if I die? Now, in the old covenant, they had a limited limited view on eschatology. They they had this view of Sheol, oh, when I go to the grave, what will happen? Well, we know better in the full revelation that to live is Christ and to die is gain, and after we die, we're with heaven praising God for ever and ever. It was a bit dim to the old testament saints. So he said to God, What profit is there in my blood if I go down to the pit? Will I cease to exist? So in his mind, I can't praise you if I'm dead. Secondly, will the dust praise you? Maybe I'll return to dust. Or if I'm dead, will the very dust praise you? On the one hand, we may say, yes, even the stones will praise God. But here, if I'm merely dust, I have no mouth to praise God. And third, will the dust not only praise you, but will it declare your faithfulness as I would if you kept me alive? So all three of these expect a no answer. What prophet is there if I die? Will the dust praise you? Will the dust declare your faithfulness? No, no, and no. That was the implication to his bold question. Have you prayed like this to God? He said, God, if I'm gone, how will I praise you on earth? How can I continue to be useful on earth? David was a man of bold prayers. And Lesson 9 is this. We can learn from our brother David. Let us cultivate confidence at the throne of grace. Let us cultivate this confidence at the throne of grace. Large petitions with you bring. You are coming to a king, John Newton. We come with bold prayers. Cultivate boldness at the throne of grace. From our current study in Hebrews 4.16, Therefore, because of Christ, let us draw near with confidence, paresias, confidence to the throne of grace, so that we may receive mercy and may find grace to help in time of need. I love this word confidence or boldness, because also Paul used it in Acts 28, where he said and, and described preaching and teaching that with all openness or boldness or unhindered he preached. So it's the same word, the same idea that a preacher of the gospel wants to have boldness, unreservedness of speech to the audience. David and we should have at the throne of grace this same boldness with God. Boldness in our prayers. Do you pray boldly? I don't mean arrogantly. I don't mean disrespectfully. But do you have this confident, Boldness, this unreservedness in speech, knowing that you're coming to your God, your Father, your Lord. Cultivate confidence at the throne of grace. There are many implications to our prayers. And you can take the Lord's prayer, the disciples' prayer, and go through those petitions. Lord, I need your grace today. Help me. Lead me not into temptation, but deliver me from the evil one. Lord, I'm prone to wander. Lord, I feel it. Lead me not into temptation, because Lord, if I go down the path of temptation, I may fall. Deliver me from the evil one. Pray boldly, honestly, laying hold of the character of God and his grace. David continues in verse 10. Verse 10. Hear, O Lord, and be gracious to me. O Lord, be my helper. Just a few words about God. Be gracious. Be my helper, O Lord. He's pleading with God based on the character of God. And we should do the same. Lesson 10, may the character of God ignite our prayers. If you're a bit cold hearted, Pray over the character of God back to Him. Lord, You're the God of grace. You are the helper. Help me, Lord, I I need You. Because You are the God of grace, help me through today. Give me grace. You give a greater grace. Lord, You are the helper of the helpless, and You know, Lord, my weakness. Focus on the character of God in Your prayers. Psalm 54.4 says, Behold, God is my helper. The Lord is the sustainer of my soul. Lord, deliver us from any self-trust that we could somehow get through this life on our own. We are weak as water, brothers and sisters. We need the helper. We need the Holy Spirit. We need God the Father. We need God the Son to help us and give us this grace and, In time of need. Verse 11 and 12. Winding down. David has as. Kidner called it. Chastened recollections. He's looking back. Where he was. God had corrected him. And he says in verse 11. You have turned for me. My mourning. Or my wailing into dancing. You have loosed my sackcloth and girded me with gladness, that my soul, or literally my glory, may sing praise to you and not be silent. David had suffered under the attacks of his enemy. He had suffered from apparent sicknesses, whether aches, pains, or diseases, we don't know. He suffered under a lot of misery, and the Lord gave relief. He had mourned. He had wailed. He had cried out, Help me, Lord. And the Lord gave relief. He took that coat of sackcloth, maybe his, his uh, repentance in sackcloth and ashes. He had this coat with just uh, very simple something they put on to show their grief. God took that coat off and put on a coat of gladness, a, a coat of rejoicing. And the phrases here that I love to see. You have turned you have loosed. You have girded. God was his rescuer. He, turned, he did all of this. He helped David and he does the same for us. So lesson 11 in the final place. Exalt the Lord who turns our days of despair into dances of delight. Exalt the Lord who turns your days of despair into dances of delight. Whatever it is, whatever grief you had, whether because of enemy attacks, sickness, battles in your sanctification, the Lord has turned to you. He has loosed your bonds. He has girded you with gladness. We are a people of joy and gladness. He has put that coat of gladness on us and given us not only mourning and crying and wailing, but he turned all that into dancing, into delight, into celebration. Exalt the Lord from our innermost being, our soul, our glory, our internal control center. And what does he do? He praises God. I cannot be silent. It reminded me of Fanny Crosby's Him redeemed. I sing, for I cannot be silent. His love is the theme of my song. We can't be silent because God has turned our mourning into dancing. Woe unto us if all we do, and forgive me, Lord, and forgive me, brothers and sisters, when you see one another on Sunday, maybe when you see me, uh, how was your week? Oh, it was hard. It It was difficult. It was miserable. If that's my continual demeanor, Something's wrong. God relieves us and takes away our burdens and gives us this coat of gladness, this joyfulness. We must cultivate it and exalt in the Lord. We cannot be silent about how He carried us through. We can be honest with one another. But if woe is me, woe is me all the time, if that's our continual theme, we're living below the level of the Word of God. And let, let us and let me repent. We need to have the high praises of God on our lips to rejoice in the Lord always. Again, we're called to rejoice. Back to James 5, we said, was anyone suffering? Let him pray. But he adds in that same verse, is anyone cheerful? He has to sing praises. We can go from praying in our misery to rejoicing and singing praises. The Psalms do it all the time. They, he poured out his heart in misery, and then he concludes with praise and thanksgiving to God. It's not a contradiction to go from grief and misery to praising, rejoicing, and dancing. Is anyone cheerful? He is to sing praises. Well, he wraps up with these concluding words: "O oh Lord, my God, I will give you thanks forever." I will give thanks to you forever. He commits. He commits to this. To having a thankful heart. And that would deal with a lot of the woe is me attitude. If we have a thankful heart. In everything give thanks. I will give thanks to you forever. You've rescued me. You've taken me from the the streets of misery. Into the the dances of delight. David committed to give thanks to God forever. Will we do the same? I will give you thanks, Lord, forever. The rest of my life and for all eternity, I will thank you. Let that define us individually and as a church, a thankful people, a grateful people. The Lord has done everything for us and we deserved nothing Actually, we deserved his wrath in hell forever. But he seated us and put us in Christ. May a heart of thankfulness mark mark our lives. Listen to the Scottish preacher, and I'll conclude with this quote. Excellent sermon on this passage. You can look it up. He said, A heart truly penetrated with thankfulness, delights to turn the blessings of God round and round and to see how prismatic lights play on their facets as on a revolving diamond. Have you ever looked at a gem through a magnifying glass or even at children you see that uh, prismatic device where you pull it back and forth and, and you just see The glory and the beauties of the gems. What's the same with us as we look at the blessings of God and see, Lord, He helped me to get up again today. He helped me through yesterday and He helped me through tomorrow. And we look at those gems of His goodness and we praise Him. There's much to praise God for. Let us have the high praises of God on our lips continuously. Let's pray. Our great God, our Lord, our Savior, our Helper, our Refuge, our Rock, and our Redeemer, we thank you that you condescended to save the likes of us. And we say with the psalmist, your gentleness makes us great. You have done a work in our hearts. And Lord, we do confess at times we are thankless and shame on us and forgive us. Lord, may we be changed and transformed to in everything give thanks, to rejoice always. We have volumes of things to thank you for. Lord, you are good and you do good. Great is your faithfulness. Your loving kindness extends to the heavens. And Father, by your grace, we would commit to give thanks to you forever and ever. You are our God and we love you. We thank you in Jesus' name, amen.